Last week, we started a new series entitled Answering Our Culture, and uh, we're, we're, in this series, we're talking about common objections that people have and questions that they may have to Christianity, and, uh, and we want to, the whole point of this is to get us prepared to be able to give an answer, uh, specifically, as we said last week, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. Now, with all that said, and with, even as we get into this uh, series and this message today, we're, what we're not talking about, we're not talking about being prepared to argue with people, because that doesn't do anything in, in any way. Nobody has ever been argued to Jesus. Uh, nobody's ever gotten to the point where they said, well, I see your, uh, your arguments are far superior to mine, so I will change my mind. Uh, arguing doesn't help, but, but we want to be ready to give them an answer in love and in gentleness. We want to be able to help them understand that, that following Christ and having faith in Him uh, is a very reasonable thing to do. Uh, and, and many of the objections that people have are really rooted in personal uh, reasons, uh, excuses not to follow the Lord. And we'll be get, talking about some of that. Today, we're going to be addressing the prevailing belief that there is no absolute truth. Uh, many people in our culture don't believe in absolute truth. They believe that truth is relative and truth depends on your circumstances or your culture. And, and often you don't hear that actual phrase anymore, you know, about there is no absolute truth. But I'll, I'll tell you wh- how you can tell. How many of you have heard somebody say something like, well, he's got to live his truth and you've got to live your truth and I've got my truth. Anybody heard somebody say something like that? That is an example of relative truth. Uh, because there's no such thing as your truth or my truth or their truth. They're just simply truth. And, uh, and so anytime anybody says something like that, they're referring, they're, it's, it's making the statement, it's saying the same thing as saying that there is no real absolute truth. Uh, that, because they're saying truth depends on who you are and your circumstances and how you feel. We're gonna, that's a big one today. And all of these sort of things. But, but I want to start off this morning by reading two short passages from the Bible, both of them from the book of John. John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to refer to these passages again a little bit later in this message, but I wanted to introduce them to you here, and I think as the message progresses that you'll get a better understanding of them in the context of our discussion today. But would you bow your head together with me, and let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we just come to you in this moment, and, and, uh, and I just ask God, in the, in, first of all, I admit my own weakness, God, and I'm asking that somehow that you would impart power to the words that I'm about to share. I know that I have no power within me to touch people or to change lives, but God, I also know that when we place what we have in your hands, you do miracles with it. So speak to us today, God. Equip us today. Empower us today. Encourage us today. Have your way in us today. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I want to start by asking you a series of questions how many of you, when, when you were growing up, uh, heard about the, the tooth fairy? Let me, let me see your hand. Anybody here hear about the tooth fairy growing up? All right, good. How many of you heard about Santa Claus? Yeah. 
when you're growing up. All right. Uh, how about the Easter Bunny? Anybody here about the Easter Bunny? All right. Here's a, here's a shot in the dark. Is there anybody here when you're growing up you're taught about the great pumpkin? You remember? So I know somehow I knew Pansy would say that. And so we got a couple of them here. Uh, how many of you uh, were taught that that if you swallowed gum, that it remains in your stomach for seven years? Anybody hear that one? Yeah. All right. How many How many of you were told that if you crossed your eyes, they might get stuck like that? Yeah, that's a, a big one there. Uh, how many of you heard that cracking your knuckles causes arthritis? You hear that one? Okay. How many of you heard that humans only use 10% of their brains? You ever heard that one? Okay. All right. We're, we're doing pretty good here. Almost 100% on all of them, except for the great pumpkin. Um, how many of you were taught that you shouldn't go swimming for at least an hour after you ate? Okay. A lot of us. How many of you heard that shaving makes hair grow back thicker? You heard that one? Okay. And here's, the, here's one of my favorite ones. Has anybody ever heard that, that people, on average, swallow eight spiders a year while they're asleep? How many of you heard that one? Some of you haven't heard of it, but you're grossing out with that one. Okay, here's the good news. Every one of those things is a myth. Not one of those things is actually true. Some things we can recognize immediately as myths, you know, like the great pumpkin. You know, that's easy to figure out. The great pumpkin is not real. Sorry, Pansy. She's over there crying right now. Uh, but, but we recognize something easily, uh, some things easily as myths, but other things aren't as easy to recognize. And, 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 and then when you find out it's not true, then you, you start to wondering about different things. And so it's led a lot of people to reject the notion that absolute truth even exists and, and to embrace the notion that all truth is, is relative. In other words, what may be tr might be true for you is not necessarily true for me. This is what we were talking about a moment ago. And in the spiritual sense, it would mean that I may believe that Christianity is true, but it may not be true for someone else. That's the implication when it comes to spiritual matters. So the question is, why is it do people reject the notion of absolute truth? Why, did, why does that happen? Well, there are probably many, many reasons, but I want to give you three of them uh, before we get into the heart of what I want to share. The first one is, that many people feel that absolute truth is too hard, if not impossible, to find. Now that, that's easy to understand, especially when there's, you know, everybody and their dog is claiming to have the truth, you know, and, and some people's truth is different than other people's truth. I mean, after all, who are you going to choose to believe? The Dalai Lama or Buddha or Jesus or Karl Marx? They all have different, different teachings, and so they're all claiming to be true, so it's just hard to figure it out. The second reason is, is that there are just too many charlatans. Uh, this is related to the first reason. While, while there are many who honestly believe they have the truth or at least have access to it, there are plenty of people in the world today who exploit people's desire for truth and they lure them into spending their money for phony cure-alls for their spiritual need. The, how many of you remember the old, uh, or maybe you read or saw the old movie, uh, Elmer Gantry. Anybody know? Nobody knows about that one. <laughs> well, it's a it's a movie. It's a story about a a guy who goes in, on the trail as an evangelist. He's not really a believer in Christ, but he does it for the money. And those types of people uh, that do that and use the Bible to pad their bank accounts in the name of Jesus, they don't help this per, this perception at all. 
And then the third reason, and I think this is probably if we really got down to the brass tacks, if we got down to where the rubber meets the road, and I can't think of any other similes that I can put in there, uh, but this is where I think a lot of people are, and that is that it's easier to believe in relativism because if truth is relative, then there's no accountability to a standard. And I can do whatever I want because I can just say, hey, this is my truth. And today I want to I just take a few minutes and, and look at the implications of relativism, which means that truth is, is, varies upon who you are in your culture. And then I want to explore some of the implications of absolute truth. If truth is just simply truth, what does that mean for us? So I want to start with the implications of relativism. The first one is this. If truth is relative, then all spiritual truth is valid. If truth, is, is, if truth is relative, then all spiritual truth is valid. What it means is that all religions and philosophies carry the, exactly the same weight and that Christianity is no better than Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or Jehovah's Witnesses, Witness or Mormonism or atheism. And, and to a lot of people, that sounds really nice on the surface. After all, you know, shouldn't we all just get along? Like, I mean, you've probably seen the bumper stickers where it says coexist and it has all the different symbols of all the different religions and that sort of thing. And it sounds really nice. It sounds like, oh, this is the way things ought to be. Why can't we just let everybody have his or her own faith or his or her own philosophy and leave it at that? But this belief gives rise to the question, if that's what you think, here's the question you have to ask yourselves. What do you do then with spiritual truths that are in direct contradiction with each other. If you say it's that, none, none is no, uh, that, that one is not any better than the other, that they're all equally true, then what are you going to do when, they, when, they have, when you have two spiritual truths that contradict each other? For example, Jesus claimed, and we just read it, we're going to come back and read it again, he claimed to be that he is the only truth, and he claimed that he is the only way to God. Islam says that Christianity is false. How can they both be true? How can they both be true? Christianity says that Jesus is God. Islam says that Jesus is merely a great prophet. How can they both be true? You see, they they cannot both be true, uh, and they can't be true for some and not true true for others, because both of these make claims of exclusivity. They say, we are right and they are wrong. Uh, It'd be similar to me saying to you, that way is west, I think I'm right here, that way is west, and that way is east, and somebody else coming up and saying, no, 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 that way is west, and that way is east. We can't both be right. They're, they're mutually exclusive claims to truth. And so if I say that's West, one way is going to be West and not both ways. That's the, that's the, the, the problem with this. So, so two mutually exclusive viewpoints cannot both be true. We need to understand that. One must be right and another must be wrong. And, and the next implication of relativism is that if, if truth is relative then persuasion is not allowed and tolerance is king. Now, I need to qualify that a little bit because I need to make sure we understand the modern definition of tolerance because 
the world and modern uh, ideas. They have hijacked the, the, this, this word tolerance to fit it into a, our po- postmodern world. The dictionary definition of tolerance, it, it, to be tolerant, is, is to bear with or to put up with something not especially liked. That's what it means, literally. But when people talk about tolerance today, that is not what they mean at all. They mean something completely different. Because when people talk about being tolerant today, what they're meaning, what they're saying is that all values, all beliefs, all lifestyles, and all claims to truth are absolutely equal. Guess what? That makes you as a Christian the most intolerant person in the world. Because you say there's only one way to God. That's why they consider you intolerant. When truthfully, Christians, when we're walking in love the way Christ called us to love, we, we don't endorse anybody's sin, but we are tolerant. We, in other words, you know, there are no real Christians that are calling for sinners to be killed off. We, we put up with it. We bear with the sin around us. Uh, and and that's, the, that's the real definition of tolerance. But but by the definition that the world uses, that all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and claims of truth are equal, by that definition, if you claim to, to know absolute truth, you are then, by their definition, intolerant. And if you are intolerant, guess what? You will not be tolerated. Isn't this the truth? Haven't we experienced this? I've found that many, many people today are, are so proud of their tolerance but then they're very, very angry when someone declares something to be true with which they don't agree. They perceive that that claim to truth as judgmental, or here's the, the buzzword that's used today, that if you make a claim to truth, then you will be accused of being filled with hate. That's the world we live. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with it, and they, they're completely blind to this, to their own hypocrisy, because here's the problem. If a person is truly tolerant, if I'm using their definition of tolerant, if that person is, is really tolerant and there is no absolute truth, then it, by that definition of tolerance, that person has no right to judge my position as being invalid, even if they disagree with it. Because I thought all viewpoints have, uh, are, are equal, They're, they're all claims of truth are equal. If that's true, then a person must accept my belief that Jesus is the one and only way to God as being a valid viewpoint if he or she is going to be consistent with their claim of tolerance. They want me to be tolerant, but they refuse to be tolerant of my views in return. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example, a story. I read about a person who entered, when they were in college, they entered into a homosexual lifestyle, rejecting what they had been taught from the Bible. And, and this person, she went on to become president of a campus homosexual student organization. She was very, very vocal about her involvement in that lifestyle. But all the while, while she was doing this, she would sporadically attend church. And, and when she would go to church on those, uh, those rare occasions, the pastor and all the other people at the church would walk up to her and they would put their arms around her and they would tell her that they're praying for her and they would ask if there was anything she needed. They were never, ever harsh. They were always full of love, but they also never condoned her lifestyle. And she knew what they stood for and the truth that they stood for. And they showed her love in spite of her actions, in spite of the way that she was living. And after a while, 
she decided to leave that lifestyle. And, and, and guess what the, the reaction of the homosexual community was? Was there sadness at her leaving? No. There was anger and hostility. She literally began receiving threats of physical violence from people who were advocating acceptance and tolerance. She found out that the people who were most accepting of her were the ones who loved her enough to tell her that they disagreed, yet they loved her anyway. The, the, the third implication, the last implication of, of, uh, of, of uh, relativism is that if, there, if truth is relative, and this is a big one, then there are no moral absolutes. If truth is relative, then there are no moral absolutes. The, the usual context of this is that, is that no one can make moral judgments on another person's lifestyle choices. and they want, to, they want to impose that upon us. But first of all, I want to say this. Everybody, everybody, let me say it again, everybody makes moral judgments. Everybody does. I might judge it to be wrong, and you might judge it to be okay, but both of those are judgments that we pass based on, uh, they're moral judgments based on a perceived moral absolute, yours being that, that, uh, that, that it is morally wrong to condemn uh, someone else's moral choices and mine based on what Scripture says. And secondly, and we have to do this, we, we have to take this next step, because you need to take things to the next level to see how feasible your logic is. And that is, if there are no moral absolutes, because you can't have moral absolute if there's no absolute truth. Uh, because if truth is relative, then what's true for you and is, and, is, and is not necessarily what's true for me, then there's no way that you can say what's wrong for, for me is also wrong for you. You see, see there's this inconsistency there. So if there are no moral absolutes, and get this, Nobody wants to go here, but this is where it leads. If there are no moral absolutes, then Hitler, Charles Manson, racism, rape, murder, etc., go on down the line, cannot be condemned, because without absolutes, you cannot condemn anyone's actions as being wrong, no matter how egregious those actions may be. This is the logical conclusion of this, of this viewpoint. Yet, the truth is, I have found no relativist who claims that racism is right. I have found no relativist who says that rape is allowable if it meets someone else's moral code. I mean, what's your gut reaction when you hear of the kidnapping and murder of, of small children? My guess is that just like everybody else in the world, you are shocked and you're horrified and you're angry and you're sickened. And I'm willing to, to bet that, that there's a big part of you that wants to see people who do these kind of things brought to justice. Why is that? Because fun fundamentally within us, we know that murder, especially murder of innocent children, is absolutely wrong. It is a moral absolute, which means there must be an absolute truth that says this is always wrong. Do you see this? You making the connections here? I know this is kind of out there for a lot of us, but I hope, I hope you're following along. So these are the implications. If truth is relative, if truth can change from person to person and culture to culture, that, this is what it means for us. This, and listen, frankly, this is the world we're living in. 
This is the world we're living in, and it's going further and further down that road with no, no moral absolutes. Uh, people, you know, years ago, there were people who predicted with all of the, the things going on that they started saying, I'm telling you, we're on a slippery slope. We're going to be going down. And there were people saying, listen, the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to start trying to normalize pedophilia. They're going to start normalizing, you know, adult and children having sex together. And people said, you're crazy. But guess what? There are a lot of people out there that are trying to do exactly that. Because if there's, if there's no absolute truth, then there are no absolute morals. That's the world we live in. Now let's move on to the, to the other side of it. If, what are the implications if truth is absolute? If truth is just truth? If it's just real? Well, if truth is absolute, then number one, it can be found. See, this is the difference between the world that we live in today and what's called postmodernism and the world that many of us grew up in. Most of us grew up in what we call the modern uh, philosophy, uh, modernism, and, but, but the world we live in today is, considered, is called postmodern. And, and the difference is that we grew up with the belief that truth was out there to be discovered and that if you worked hard, if you searched, you could find the truth. But today's philosophy is that, if, that you can make the truth. You don't find it, you make it. And so, but if truth is absolute, that means that it exists. It's out there, it's somewhere, and you can find it. It can be found. And now, truth can be difficult to find, but that does not mean that it's impossible. In order to find truth, the first thing you need to do is you need to know what it is. So let's, let's define it. I want to give you some earmarks of truth that will help you figure some of these things out. First of all, you need to know that truth is objective. That means that it's true for all people that it's universal, that it's true in all places, and it's constant. It means it's true for all times. This is, if you want to determine whether a spiritual truth is true, a teaching that somebody is teaching, uh, even if they say it's from the Bible, if you want to know if it's true, you need to ask yourself, does this truth work for everybody in every culture throughout all time? For example, the truth of salvation. It doesn't matter who you are, what country you live in, what color your skin is. It is true for you. It, it doesn't matter uh, uh, you know, where you live. You can, you can find salvation through Christ in, in behind the Iron Curtain. Well, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but it, you can find it in a communist country or you can find it in the United States. And it is constant. It doesn't matter how long ago you lived or if you live 100 years in the future, it's still going to be true for you. But you can ask yourself, when somebody teaches something, you ask yourself, does this work only in my Western culture or would it work in a third world country where they're just barely scraping by and, they're, and they're, they get one meal a day? If it works in both places, then it's true. If it only works here in an affluent, affluent society, I hate to tell you, it's not true. Because truth is, must be objective, it must be universal, and it must be constant. That's, how, that's why we know it's out there to find. I, I came across a story about Abraham Lincoln. He's one of my favorite, probably is my favorite president, uh, historically speaking. But he, the story told of a time when he was having a disagreement with another man. And, and, and Lincoln asked the man, he said, how many legs does a cow have? And the man answered, four. And then Lincoln said, well, what if we called the tail a leg 
then how many legs would the cow have? And he said, well, the man said, well, I, then he'd have five legs. And to which Lincoln replied, that's where you're wrong. Calling a tail a leg does not make it a leg. This is the world we live in. Calling something one thing that it is not does not make it true. Seeking truth and hoping to possess it uh, is so important for us because it's simply on our part an admission that we don't know everything. I, can't, I don't know everything, so I cannot create my own truth. And seeking truth is an admission that I need help, that I need to find the truth outside of me. So where can truth, where can absolute truth be found? Well, in your search for truth, you need to ask yourself some fundamental questions. The first thing you need to ask if you want to discover truth is you need to ask yourself, what is the final authority for my life going to be? What's, what's the final authority going to be for my life? What's going to be the basis for my beliefs and my behavior? What's going to be the standard by which I evaluate my life? Upon what, what am I going to base my life? What is the final authority in my life? How will I determine what is true and what is not? And every person has to settle this issue regardless of his or her religion or philosophy. You have to settle the issue of final authority concerning how you would determine what is truth and what is not. And in our world today, many, many people, they decide what is true, not based on evidence, but based on their feelings. Feelings, they are the king in today's world. Do I like it or not? Does it make me feel good or not? Does it make me happy? Or does it make me uncomfortable? Listen, my friend, I've got some, some, some truth that I want to tell you, and that is truth does not always feel good. Can somebody say amen? amen? Truth does not always make us happy. Truth sometimes makes us sad and uncomfortable. Oh, I would say often truth makes me uncomfortable. For example, I mean, we, we can see this in very simple ways. When you have cancer and the doctor tells you the truth, hey, you've got cancer, that is not a happy moment, is it? But it's still the truth. It's still the truth. When someone you love passes away and, and it be, it's a heartbreaking reality and, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, but we, we couldn't save this person, it is still the truth even though we don't like it. When it comes down to it, you really have two options. That is the world and its, its ideas and philosophies and its feelings or the word. And, and we live in a world that, that wants to make all decisions. They say, well, if you ask a lot of people, well, why do you believe that? And you say, well, I just like it. They're choosing, picking and choosing different ideas from different places and saying, this is truth, this is what I believe, because it makes me feel good. I can tell you this, when it comes down to it, it's important that you start with the Scriptures and not with man's opinion, including mine. You start with the Scriptures. Truth can be found in the pages of the, of the Word of God, in the pages of the Bible. And I, I can tell you with absolute confidence that the Bible is full of truths that will change your life for the better. The Bible is totally relevant for your life now in the 21st century, just as it has been for the last 2,000 years. In, in a, a later in the series, and probably for two messages, I'm going to be giving you reasons for trusting in the reliability of the Bible, including the historical evidence for accurate preservation and translation of the Bible. And, and the Bible itself, it contains the words truth 
true and truly uh, 338 times throughout the scripture. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 80 times in the Bible. And the Bible says that it is impossible for God to lie and that, that God's word will last forever. And here's what I know about the world's opinion. The world's opinion about truth changes all the time. I mean, you can just, just, just go... Let's just go back into the recent history, into the pandemic. And, and every time they came out with a new statement, it, it, what, what they said was the truth was changing every time they made a new announcement. The world's opinions change all the time, over and over again. Well, you know, like my, my generation, when we were being raised, and some of you that are older will remember this, uh, everyone looked to Dr. Benjamin Spock for advice on raising kids. You know, everybody was talking about him. The only problem was that when he was in his 70s, he held a press conference, and he, and he held his press conference to basically said, oops, I was wrong. That's not the way to do it. Never mind. And an entire generation was raised on one way of parenting that state studies later confirmed did not work. Did you know that the average lifespan of a science textbook is 18 months because knowledge is increasing so rapidly? Man's opinion changes from generation to generation. Nowadays, it changes even within a generation over and over again. You don't want to build your life on false assumptions. And that's what many, many people are doing. They're building a lot, their lives on things that they have decided is true, but they have not looked at the evidence. All they're basing it on is what it makes them feel, how good it is, how much they like it, and you don't want to build your life on something that is false. That's a faulty foundation. You don't want to climb the ladder to the top only to get to the top and find out the ladder has been re- leaning against the wrong wall. If you're serious about finding truth, You go to the source that never changes and will never go away. Ask God to reveal the truth to you through His Word. Absolute truth can be found if you're truly serious about finding it. The next implication, if absolute truth exists, this is a huge one, if it exists, then it must be acted upon. It's one thing to know the truth, but it's another matter to own it. To own truth, you must act on it. John, we read it earlier, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful in my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus didn't say you will know the truth so that you can hold to my teachings and obey them. He said, hold to my teachings and obey them, then you will know the truth. Which basically means you'll know me. Many times, people prefer to believe in relativism in order to justify his or her own disobedience to the known commands of God. They say, I want to choose what is true, even though I know what God says over here, I'm going to choose a truth because I want to continue living the way I want to live. And so they use this idea of relative truth simply to justify their own disobedience to the known commands of God. We've got to understand that we are accountable for the truth that we know or that we have access to. Each of us must act on the truth that we know. Truth does not change your life simply by knowing it in your head. It changes your life when you start 
owning it, when you start living it out, when you start uh, embracing that truth and living the way the truth says. That's when it brings change. Which leads us to this last implication of absolute truth. And that is, if, abs- if, if, if truth is absolute, then anything untrue must be rejected. Anything untrue must be rejected. If you know the truth, then falsehood must be rejected. And this is the part where a lot of people struggle in today's world because they say, okay, I want to embrace the truth, but I don't want to have to look at anybody else and say, but that is false because that's uncomfortable, that's, that's uneasy. And we live in a world where if you do that, that's when the tolerant people are really going to come after you. But if you know the truth, then falsehood must be rejected. A person must recognize that some things are true and other things are not, and we must make a, a, a decision regarding truth and error, keeping the truth, rejecting the error. And again, it goes back to the foundation. What's, what's going to be the foundation that we use? We, we determine, we make that judgment based on what the Word of God says, and what, when we do that, then we reject the, the error, we keep the truth. And, and in John 14, 6, Jesus claimed to be truth. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Every one of us must decide if Jesus was telling the truth about his life, uh, about who he was, because he claimed very clearly to be God on multiple occasions, and he's claimed to be the Son of God. So we have to decide if he was telling the truth, or he was lying, or if he was simply insane. Because that's really your only choices. Because when somebody says, I am God, I've come to earth, I'm walking this earth in flesh, but I I am God, I came to this earth in, in the flesh. You really have only three options. A, maybe he's a madman who just, who isn't God, but he believes he is. B, he knows he's not God and he's lying about it to try to get something from you. Or the only other option is, he really is who he said he is. Those are the only three choices that we have. So we we have to decide. And if he was lying or he was insane, then we reject that truth. But if he was telling the truth, then you have to act on it. Coming to Christ to open the door of heaven for you. You you, you have to accept the truth. You have to embrace the truth, but reject what's false. And that means... If we believe what Jesus said, if we believe that he is who he said he was, then he said here, no one can come to the Father except through me. He said, there's no other way to get to heaven. You have to come through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way. You have to come through me. When he says that, if we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and there's strong evidence to believe that, we're going to get into that in another week, then that means you must reject all other teachings that say, anybody that says all pathways lead to God, uh, we have to reject that because Jesus very clearly claims to be the exclusive path to God. It's inconsistent to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and then still believe that, say, a Buddhist or a Muslim will go to heaven. And I know that sounds harsh, and in today's uh, society and culture, that's the kind of thing that will get you, you know, pinned to the wall and people will attack you for saying that. But listen, the implication is if it is true, then it's true. And that means the other things are false. 
You must reject anything that contradicts the truth. Now, I want to, I want to give you today, we're going to close, I want to give you an opportunity to act uh, on the truth that you've heard today. And I'm, I want to challenge you to make three commitments regarding absolute truth. Uh, I should have put these out on paper somewhere, but you can write these down and, 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 and make this part of your life. I want to give you these three commitments I'm asking you to make along with me. I'm making these commitments myself. Number one, I commit myself to seeking the truth. I commit myself to seeking the truth. I'm not going to just take what I hear and believe it. If it, you know, Some people are like, well, if it's on Facebook, it must be true, right? Or if it's on the internet somewhere, it must be true. Or if so-and-so taught it, it must be true. I don't care who it is. I don't care what the name of the teacher is. You don't take something as truth because they said so. You go to your standard. You go to the thing that is your measuring stick. Go to the Scripture. Examine the Scripture. Be like the Bereans. That the, the, the Bible says they were more noble than the others. That, that they went, searched the Scripture to see if what they said was really true. So commit yourself to seeking the truth. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Can you say psychic hotline? Can you say horoscopes? Can you say Scientology? You, you may not know this, but Scientology teaches that, uh, there were, that there were aliens eons ago that came, and because of the actions that they had, that they took, there are problems that are created in us today in our modern reincarnations, and that we have to deal with those to, to become clear of those things. And then they want to look at us and say, you guys are crazy believing in Creator God. I mean, people who will believe some of the craziest things, but they'll scoff at a creator God, they'll scoff at the idea of Christianity. I need to be honest, though. This commitment is tough because if you make a commitment to seek the truth for the rest of your life, you need to remember it's not always easy to seek the truth. It's not always popular to seek the truth because often truth contradicts popular opinions. It contradicts conventional wisdom that says it's okay because everyone's doing it and i need to warn you also that sometimes the truth is painful sometimes the truth is scary it can be unpleasant because why because we don't want to face the truth about our past we don't want to face the truth about our own lives we don't want to face the truth about our own failures we don't want to deal with the things that are going on inside of us and that's why sometimes we avoid the truth but I also need to tell you that the only way to emotional health and stability and spiritual health and stability is to face the truth. Here's the second commitment. I commit myself to living the truth. I commit myself to living the truth. Now, this is harder to do, harder than even seeking it. Truth is not something you, you simply know. It is something you do. It's something you practice and apply. In the book of Ephesians, we find these words. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, 
we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I have to seek to living this truth out. And and by the way, I, I believe one of the greatest difficulties that the American church faces is the reality that many, 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 many Christians do not know the Word of God. This is why so many are susceptible to false doctrine, because they don't know what the Bible says. If you don't know what the Bible says, how are you going to evaluate when someone makes a claim to truth? So get into the Word. Read it. Get it better better than that. Don't get into the Word. Get the Word into you. Get it in you. Don't don't read the Word of God. Let the Word of God read you. Look at that and use it as a mirror to say, is this who I am? That's what James talks about, about God's Word being like a a mirror that that, that somebody who doesn't do what it says but just claims to have faith but doesn't do it. He says it's like somebody who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. You know, it'd be like waking up in the morning. Anybody here like me, you wake up in the morning and you're just a really a frightening thing to look at? Is there anybody, anybody here? Your hair's going all over the place. And I mean, it just is, you know, I mean, you got this mark from drool coming down your chin and, you know, it's just, you're just not, it's just not a pleasant thing, thing to see. Nobody should ever see that, you know, so God bless my wife. That's all I can say. Uh, but, but it'd be like, you know, it'd be like looking in the mirror in the morning and saying, oh my goodness, that looks, I look terrible. And then walking away from the mirror and going straight out and doing my business for the day and forgetting the fact that I look like a, like, I like a lunatic. That's what it means if you don't put the word into action. You're saying, I'm looking in the word. I read what it says. I see what it's, what it's saying to me, how it's applying to me. I use it like a mirror, and I say, okay, let me look at my life. Does this line up with what I'm reading right here? And when it doesn't line up, if I, if I just leave it, and I don't take any action, and I don't apply it to my life, and I don't live it out, and I don't let the Holy Spirit change me, and I walk away just knowing that information, that's the same thing. I walk out, I walk away from the mirror, and I'm just as ugly as I was before because I didn't use what I saw in the Word to let the Spirit change me. So I have to learn how I commit myself to living this truth out so that I, if I, if I can't, the last verse, and if we, we will speak the truth in love, I can't speak the truth in love if I don't know the truth. So know it and live it. And the third commitment is this. I commit myself to believing the truth. Now, that isn't as easy as it seems on the surface because Remember I said earlier that to accept the truth means you must reject error. But what I need to emphasize here is that you you have to choose to believe. It is not something that just automatically happens. It is a choice that we make. We say, all right, I'm going to choose to believe this. It's not a feeling that you have. It's a decision you make. Jesus is calling you to choose to believe him at the expense of everything else. Jesus said, I am the truth. That means he says, I want you to embrace me and reject everything else in this world that is false. That's pretty exclusive, wouldn't you say? You need to decide that Jesus is telling the truth, telling the truth that he is the truth, 
And you need to put your faith in him. He, he has promised that obeying his truth will lead to spiritual freedom, allowing us to enjoy all the benefits that God has for us in this life. He promised that you would live a full life, which, by the way, is not always going to be easy because uh, he doesn't promise it'll be an easy life. He said it will be full and abundant. But, and even though it's not easy, it still will be full and abundant because you have his presence in your life. Not only that, he promises you that you will have a home in heaven with him. You, you can go to bed even today, knowing that you will spend eternity in heaven when you die. How can you know that? How can you know that? Well, it's because he promises it. As I said before, God cannot lie. And you know what? If, if, if there's anybody here on the live stream that you haven't made that decision, you can get that taken care of right now. Would you like to know right now that you're going to heaven? You can if you turn to Jesus today. I want, I want you to bow your head, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray with you in a moment, but, but with your heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around, and maybe you're on the live stream, and you're, and you're, you're wrestling with these things, and you, you just, maybe the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you for a while already, and you're, you're at that point where you say, you know what, I do want to know. I do want to, I want to know the truth. I want to live the truth. I want to, I want to accept Jesus Christ. If there's anybody that would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want you to, uh, because I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to know the truth. I want to walk in the truth, and I'm ready to reject all the other falsehoods. And if that's you today, you can slip your hand up right here in this place, or if you're online, you can just simply type in, pray for me. And I want to pray for you if there's anybody in this place that would say, Pastor, pray for me. All right. Listen. Here's what I want to do next, and we're going to close with this. If there's anybody here who'd say, Pastor, I, I want to make those three commitments to, to truth. I want to, I want to, I want to get to the point in where I'm, I've committed in my life to, uh, to seek the truth, to live the truth, and to believe the truth, and reject everything else. But you know what? We live in a world where it can be a little scary to embrace the truth and to speak it. I think what I want to do, I feel like the Lord's leading me this way. If there's anybody here and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me that the Holy Spirit will give me the courage I need to do those things. Because that's what I need. I need holy boldness. And if that's you today, would you just slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you? Yeah, oh, they're all over the room. Listen, it's a, it's a scary time in our nation. It's Never been a time like this in our, in our nation to be a follower of Christ and where you claim to know the truth. And we need the courage and the boldness of the Holy Spirit more than ever. So I want to pray for you, and then, and then we'll, be, we'll be done. Father, I pray for every one of those that raised their hands. And God, we know that this, truth, this world is so confused. And the enemy has deceived so many, and there's so many, Lord God, that are living in just absolute horrible wickedness. That's not my judgment. That's just what your word says. And God, they're doing it be because they have convinced themselves that truth is not real, that truth is relative, that, that they can have their truth and we can have our truth and somebody else can have theirs. But God, I pray that you would just help us to be people who speak the truth in love. 
First of all, God, help us to seek the truth, to know the truth, and to live that truth out. We don't want to be hypocrites because we know nobody's going to listen to the words we say if we don't live them out. God, we embrace believing it to the point where we reject everything else. But God, I pray you would give us a holy boldness and a holy courage to speak the truth, Lord God, and help us. Help us, God, to flow in love, Lord God, that we we don't attack, we don't tear people down, we don't make it personal, but we just simply say, listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible is, is true. The Bible is accurate. The Bible says this. This is what what the truth is and we speak the truth but we do it in a spirit of love never compromise never compromising on the truth never compromising on our love God I pray that you would use us to touch lives I know there are people that we know that the Holy Spirit's already dealing with them there have seeds, been seeds planted in their lives many years ago maybe by parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or friends or, or, or whoever it might be. Maybe even somebody that they saw on television. There's a seed that's been planted and you've been working on it. You've been watering it. You've been bringing it to the place of harvest. And God, maybe, Lord, help us to have the courage and the boldness to speak out because maybe you give us the privilege of being there in that moment of harvest where they come and, and they, they embrace the truth of Jesus and they reject all the other falsehoods. So Lord, use us we just offer ourselves to you. We know that we're weak. We, we admit that we're afraid. But God, we don't need courage unless we are afraid. So give us the courage in that moment and give us the boldness to speak and give us the love of God that, that opens the door for the truth. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Have your way in us. And do what you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.